Hello everyone, my name is Jen Torres and I am a God, and so are you. Like many of you, I was raised to believe that if I just prayed hard enough, God would save me. As it turns out, that was actually true. I saved me. At the age of 15, I became pregnant with a beautiful baby girl who dropped in just in time to save my miserable life. This was my first awakening. This podcast is about all of the words and listening to those words to begin to envision what is possible. Because sometimes, as individuals, we feel we need to know everything, have it all together and be everything all of the time. But that's why we live in a world filled with other people. Each person holds a piece of the puzzle. It's about being open to new information, new ideas, and new perspectives. We're going to talk about all of the topics surrounding what it takes for you to step into your God Goddess. Journey with me as we uncover all things living self-actualized and in your inherent divine God state. This podcast is about doing whatever it takes to develop and nourish the God in you. I am super excited about today's show, and I am having a first ever returning guest, Don DelVecchio, on the show. Don is a magical woman who I met about a couple of years ago now, and I have studied under her everything to do with the priestess, the witch. She was on episode 11, in which we actually talked about the priestess and the witch explained. However, in this episode, we are diving deep into the mother wound, which I feel is fitting as Mother's Day weekend is coming up here. A little bit about Dawn Del Vecchio is she is someone who has for over 37 years studied goddess lore, facilitated ceremony, have offered intuitive guidance, spiritual counsel, tarot, she's done astrology readings, and she is the founder of the Return of the Priestess series, which has a huge private community of over 2,000 members. She's also the lineage barrier of Mother Spirit which I know you've heard me talk about on this podcast before. Mother Spirit is a beautiful container in which she holds usually yearly. That is a 13 moon coven that dives deep into the her story of goddess lore. So without further ado, let's jump right into this episode with Dawn Del Vecchio. So welcome back for the second time on the show, Dawn. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you, Jen. It's great to be back. I'm I'm honored that you've asked me to to speak into this topic and looking forward to really unpacking something that feels very important for us as women to um, connect in with with our hearts and do healing work around. Mm-hmm. And what I really love about what we're talking about today is that this is something that I feel every single daughter, mother experiences, but not a ton of people talk about it or really like to tackle this topic. So uh, if you could explain to the listenership, just so we can start to feel into this energy, what is relational wounding in the mother-daughter relationship? Mm, Yeah, this is a, a great question, a very broad question. 
we have to look at the mother-daughter relationship in the greater context of what we call patriarchy or male-dominated society. And I want to make a caveat here because I'm not trying to throw men under the bus. I have a son. I have a father. I have a husband. I love men. Um, men have been thrown under the bus a lot in patriarchy as well. So this patriarchy is a strategy for divisiveness and suffering for its its misery programming for humanity. So we don't have to get into the the greater overarching like the whys and wherefores. Let's just say we know that we have lived in a society that values the masculine over the feminine in uh, for a long time now and even though there have been some significant strides in making changes to that there's also a lot of hijack around that. All of that aside we're just looking at females in society that devalued the feminine for a long time in cultures all across the world. So when we have that kind of situation, we, as as people in a society, whether you're in this society, Asian society, African society, South American society, whatever it is, you're going to, um, in order to get by, uh, to be accepted, you're going to follow the customs the assumptions, the behaviors, and the attitudes of the people in your culture, right? First, your family, your parents, your family, school, et cetera, et cetera. So just like a fish, if you asked a fish, like, how's the water? They'd be like, what water? So for most people, you say, how's the culture or how's the patriarchy serving you? It's like, what patriarchy? You don't even really know. You know, it's just, it's just what is. So we begin, we, we internalize those values, whatever those values are. And in internalizing the values of a society that denigrates and dismisses the feminine, you will have mothers betraying daughters generation upon generation, betraying because they're trying to do the best they can for their daughters. So the best way to illustrate this is to talk about some of the ways this is manifested. And and, um, um, okay, let's talk about things like... um, uh, marriage ability. So in patriarchy, in traditional patriarchy, the female is the property of the father until he hands her off to the husband. And so in order to not, for the, the daughter not to become a financial burden when they get older, quote unquote, now we're going back to traditional ways. It's changed some, but the psyche takes longer to change without awareness. So in traditional society, you want to get your daughters married off. And if they're not marriageable, that's a problem. So what if you have a culture that says in order for a woman to be marriageable, you have to cut her clitoris off because, and that still happens in countries in Africa, no more pleasure, no nothing. Well, eventually the mothers are going to want their daughters to be marriageable. The mothers are not going to want their daughters to be seen as a whore or a prostitute. So the mothers and the aunties and the grandmothers are the ones who will actually arrange the setup for their daughter's clitorises to be cut off, their daughter's um, 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 intellect to be stunted, their daughter's uh, attitudes to be stomped down so that they're a little obedient and meek. And we can go on and on. This is, this is just, we're doing the big stroke overview right now. Chinese foot binding, another one. You know, because some weird emperor thought little tiny feet were kinky, then all of the upper echelon of society started breaking their daughter's feet in half. So taking the foot, bending it under like this, and binding it so that they could barely walk for the rest of their lives. So they'd have infections in their feet and everything else to make their daughters marriageable 
to a wealthy other elite. So these are the most extreme examples. But what what happens over time in if you're a woman walking through society that that denigrates the feminine, that that usurps the power of the feminine, that dismisses it, that makes fun of it, that belittles it, all of that stuff, and you internalize that, at, you're like a regular person. You don't really do inner work. You're not really as self-aware. You're busy trying to make a living or raise your family. Your own, this is going to create a level of self-loathing, a split mind about, I'm a woman, I hate my womanness. And then you have a daughter and you're going to pass down those neurotic, confused, distressed energies to her. So this can be many, many different ways, right? As many different possibilities. For me, it was to be a good woman. I was raised Catholic. To be a good woman is to be a martyr, to victimize yourself and behind closed doors to judge everybody else and sigh with self-pity. It disgusted me. I, I, I hated this behavior of my mother's. I love my mother. You know, she, she's a product of her time, right? But that was the unique signature for me. For you, it might be a little different. But the essence is the same, that the betrayal of the feminine by the feminine can't help but be passed down through the feminine line. And then that creates a lot of tension when you have a daughter who says, hey, wait a minute. I'm not, I'm not buying this. I I, I don't want to be whatever you think a woman should be, mom. (laughs) I want something more. You just offered so much there. So uh, everything from the mutilation of the clitoris, like you were talking about, to the foot binding, to just putting a highlight and underscoring sort of this energy that's been very much so in the history and in the lineages of women is just mind blowing to me. It's like really like, yes, that's exactly where this, this energy is sort of flowing from. So I guess I'm curious, do you feel this is something that no matter what we inherit this energy from our mothers? It depends on the level of the consciousness of our moms and how much inner work they've done. Another sort of thing you could say is, I remember one of my girlfriends, when she had her first child, she said, I'm asking all my friends, she's a very urban woman, I'm asking all my friends for their, their quick, um, you know, like one minute soundbite of the best parenting advice. <laughs> I was like, I said, okay, okay, one minute, whatever unresolved baggage, trauma, shadow that you have is going to pass down to your kid. So, so I would say it really has to do with the level of self-awareness, the, the amount of inner work the mother has done in, in this case. Mm, how do you feel then the patriarchy comes into this? I know you kind of just talked a bit about it, but how do you feel in modern day society, the patriarchy is infiltrating the mother wound? Ooh, yeah, that's a, that's a, you know, how, how down far down the rabbit hole you want to go because it's the face of it looks very different now than what I grew up with. So, um, are you okay with uh, some controversial opinions? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, um, so let's, let's back up to talk about sort of traditional. So I was, I was born in 1965. So I was in high school in the early eighties and there was a lot of rebellion. We had already been through the sixties and the peace love generation. So there was already a breaking of the old stereotypes, but nonetheless, the major challenges women were facing were still with regard to a sort of top-down control of the masculine over the feminine, you know, women getting tenure, for example, in, as university professors putting up with the, the the head of their department rubbing their leg during 
during um, board meetings, you know, of their, of their departments, stuff like that. But then, you know, now we're seeing there is some difference. There's more uh, availability for women to move into positions of power in terms of the workspace, the academia, business, corporation. I mean, I certainly know more millionaire women than I do millionaire men. I know, you know, entrepreneurs, let's say, who are very successful females. Okay. So that's that. But, but we're seeing something very weird happening right now. I think it's weird. And I, I feel it's an, it's a kind of attack on the feminine, which is big noise in the public space about the rights of trans women. And there have always been a very small percentage of people who are trans. And I mean, you and I both have a dear a friend who, whose child is a trans woman now has gone through the surgery, et cetera, et cetera. But now there's all this, like all of a sudden there's like, all it's happening on mass without any looking at what's being taught in the schools. So when I see biological men competing in women's sports, I see the patriarchy. When I see biological men who say they identify as a woman calling to arms the trans community to start to attack women, to shut down safe spaces for women, lockers, locker rooms, bathrooms, public spaces, whatever, whatever it is, I see patriarchy. So to me, this is part of a bigger agenda to keep humanity divided. And I want to make that clear that I don't, again, I don't want to go back to like, it's all the patriarchy's fault and it's a bunch of men. This is a, a strategy of divide and conquer. And I think there was a lot of that as well with the, 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 the whole agenda around race and identity. So this, I, let's call it identity politics. There's a way in which there is a true invitation for us to become more aware, more sensitive, at times more inclusive, depending on what it is. And then there's a hijack of that and a weaponization of compassion in order to take things off some sideways road that no longer makes sense at all, at all. When you see a man competing against women and winning as a woman, there's something that's gotten really screwy here. And I see, again, I see patriarchy. Above that, I see something else. And it's the agenda to keep us at each other's throats so we don't really look at what's what's being pushed in everyone's face. It's one tactic of many, many, many. But that's what I'm seeing right now. Mm, it's so interesting that you bring that up. I was just having a conversation about this with a friend of mine who is a queer feminist, actually. And we're talking about the whole transgender movement. And one thing that I could see so clearly is that, yes, like all there's so much coming up around the transgender community right now. But I feel like this is so like a different kind of, I guess, way to think about it, but it does kind of feel like it's all coming up in order for the transgender community to figure it out within themselves. Like it's almost like now I'm seeing transgenders to like coming face to face and saying, Hey, like, how can you think this is okay? Like, it's not okay for like men to be, you know, competing in women's like transgender men to be competing in, or I should say transgender women. Now I'm getting it crossed, but, um, competing in women's sports, if they're biologically born a man, and then how is that fair? And that's not right. And then 
I'm seeing, you know, the, the other side of it where the other transgender person is like, well, how isn't it fair? I, I got my sex changed. So it's almost like there's this dust coming up within the transgender community for them to sort of face off and decide what they feel is right within their community. It's so fascinating. I'm like, Oh, that's, that's interesting perspective. Because to me, I feel like if, and, and some of them, they are biological men, not all of them have had the surgery and they're competing. This does a disservice to the genuine trans person. How, and, and, and we have to look at this when we look historically across the board, you know, many times those who are identified as trans, although they wouldn't use that word in, in indigenous cultures, they're often the shamans, right? It's a very small percentage. Why all of a sudden do we have a massive explosion of this, uh, of this identification? And why aren't we looking at what's being put into early childhood education that is not about anything but gender identity? There's something else going on here. And so to simply dismiss it as you're transphobic, if you don't think that men, you know, that trans women can compete with men. No, that's, that's simplifying something. Again, it's to create divisiveness and it is a black and white response to uh, something that needs to be looked at with nuance and care. So, and, and again, to me, I see this extreme, uh, pushing of an agenda, doing a disservice to those who are genuinely living through the experience in their incarnation as a trans person. Yes. Like I, I love what you're saying here about this because it is so true. It's an interesting time for all of this to be coming up on the planet during the rise of the divine feminine energy to sort of be coming up against these other sort of sex oriented orientation type of topics. And it's almost like they're sort of coming together to work itself out. Like I find it so interesting because all of the different perspectives I like see, I can totally see how that's true. And speaking of sort of these more marginalized communities, or um, maybe let's just say communities of uh, people who are maybe in poverty or like women of color specifically or immigrant families, do you feel that this mother wound or this issue between the mother daughter relational sort of wounding is especially affects them particularly? Or do you think it's just a generalized like thing that is everybody deals with? Yeah, this is a, it's a good question. And I really have to say, I can't say because I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, French and Italian from a little Italian working class family in the East Coast, economically marginalized. I can speak into that because I grew up in that, you know, uneducated parents. So very patriarchal in the family, very much sit down, shut up, don't don't challenge your father, expect to get smacked across the face. And again, I love my dad. He's a little old man now, but hey, he's a baby, you know, he's that baby boomer generation. That was their mindset, right? You know, so you don't question the father. You don't question the father. So, but in terms of other society, other marginalized peoples, I really can't say uh, for sure. But what I can say is that Again, we go back to in the con greater context of a society that devalues the feminine, if you have a 
you know, w- within that. And then you add poverty to it, for example, or an inability to access certain resources because you're in a marginalized community. I would say that's just going to add pressure. And then how many single mom households do we have? I mean, it's just, you know, it's a, it's, over the years, it's become more and more extreme. So the pressure on the mother to be the mother and the father to take care of the economics and the, you know, what is it, CEO and chief bottle washer. I mean, it's extreme. So those moms in in the pressure and stress just to get stuff done are going to default to whatever their conditioning is, unless they're highly self-aware and doing deep inner work. So whatever that conditioning is, then you have to go back to their cultural roots to see what that is. And we know that the more generations of dysfunction, whatever that is, addiction, single parent homes, things that challenge us to begin with, immigration, being an immigrant, all of those things, they're all going to play in and make it that much more challenging and difficult to be self-aware enough to raise a child consciously and to raise it for a mother to raise a daughter consciously. And I haven't figured out all that. You know, I didn't have a daughter, first of all, I had a son, but uh, but still, you know, it, it, we are a work in progress kind of figuring this out. Mm-hmm. I know that you touched on it earlier with your mom and the upbringing that you had, but did you experience a lot of the mother wound with your own mother? And if you did, were you guys able to sort of work through that? Yeah, great question. So this I can fe- I feel much more confident to talk on. So first of all, I was adopted. So for and for some reason back then, um, they kept me even though my parents had been checked out and were ready for me and had the, all the baby things that a family's supposed to have. They kept me for six weeks. So I was six weeks in a foster home. Big mystery there of what that was. So it wasn't until my forties that I really started to feel into um, the what. What I would call the abandoned child and do that inner work. Before that, however, I, I was adopted into a loving family. And my mother, you know, if you see my mom and dad with, with babies, they just are these loving little Italian people. They're just so loving and sweet. However, once I started to, to you know, children, as you know, as a mom, we have to start to separate ourselves and create our own identity. But my parents weren't raised with any of that knowledge or awareness at all. So I was rebellious. That was my thing. And again, as I had mentioned, for my mom, it was to be a good woman is to neurotically keep your house clean and to be a martyr and to sacrifice yourself for everybody else's needs and then guilt them over it when no one's looking. So I had a really hard time and it took years. There was a couple of years where I didn't even speak to her at all because I couldn't, I couldn't stand another conversation of the same pity party and, you know, wanting me to give up my life to be a good Catholic woman or whatever it was. Um, but then, then things changed for me and, um, I matured through having some dark nights of the soul so that uh, I could really come to the relationship as an adult instead of a reactionary in the reactionary inner child to my mom and begin to accept and, and ex really accept her. And then in my 
much more adult years, I started going uh, from there on the East Coast, I'm out West. So every year spending a couple of times a year for three or four weeks with them. And something really shifted. I can't even say exactly when. I, I'd like to credit it to my work with The Course in Miracles, but it happened really before that, where I just accepted my mom. And of course, she got older, and so she chilled out a lot. Some of the stuff that used to irritate us about each other, we just stopped giving it any energy on both our parts. So I'm happy to say, and very grateful to say, um, my mom and I have ha have a, had a good relationship for at least a decade, if not more. And I'm thankful because I know one day she won't be here anymore. And so to know that we've had these years together where we get along and there's no me anymore at all. <laughs> I'm thankful for that. Yes. Yeah. I think, I think that over time, I mean, even with myself and my mom who my mom is, you know, Pentecostal Christian woman and raising me in that energy and within that sort of religion. And even now that I'm older, I can see I'm like more reflective that her and I, and the relationship that we have together, it feels more reflective in nature rather than I'm reacting to like how she's in. Also the same thing with her. I experienced the same thing with her where she just sort of chilled out after a while like after a certain amount of years I don't know what it was but like it was almost like after her 50s she just kind of didn't wasn't so nitpicky about things and she really didn't like try to correct me all the time or she was just kind of letting me live my life and that really helped a lot too and helped so I think that age and just time I think really helps to heal the mother wound too because that, I've experienced that in my own life as well so uh, I would love Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say too, like for my mom, part of her chill out was she really had wanted to retire earlier than she did. She was tired and bored and irritable and all of that impacts as well. So I think if the, if our moms, if a mother, whatever our age, if we if we have some semblance of psycho-spiritual wholeness uh, and we're just irritated by life, but so we don't have the tools to, let's say, um, develop ourselves beyond that whatever's going on in our lives, um, we're, we're going to be irritable. But once that irritation goes away, then, then we don't have to stay neurotic. But there are plenty of moms who also are dealing with systemic trauma, early childhood trauma, you know, things that take work to get clear of. And then when that's the case, then then it's a different set of circumstances. Then you've got a, a mom who, I mean, I know I have sister friends who they simply cannot be with the, around their mothers at all because the toxicity of the woman is so intense. Mm -hmm. Actually, I have a family member like that too, who just cannot even be around her mom. And it is because her mom is just so toxic and it's just the energy is just so inflamed. And you're right. It is from her own personal upbringing and the things that she's gone through. So it's, at the end of the day, it's really nothing personal. These mother wounds I'm realizing is it's nothing personal. A lot of it is just baggage, like you were talking about before, carrying that through the lineages and it affecting us in this way. Yeah. And a lot like you, you hear these stories of, you know, people who, and maybe, you know, maybe our listeners all know someone who were, where things like alcoholism get passed down to gener generation, generation, the daughter sees the father drinking and she marries a drunk. The son sees the father. He becomes like this kind of thing. Right. And at some point there's a, the, the one in the, I call the lineage bearer who says, 
the buck stops here. I'm not going to pass this down. I'm going to do my inner work. I'm going to resolve whatever my patterns are. And and I think that that's true of the mother-daughter wound as well. It's like, yep, mom was raised in patriarchy. Yep, mom had trauma. Yep, mom did the best she could with the tools she had. And she was really a difficult mom. And I don't have to carry that forward. And I can love her. I can accept her. I might need to keep her at a distance because of her level of toxicity. But I don't have to carry that anymore. I can change it in myself. For women who are maybe still in right in the middle of this energy with their own mothers who are dealing with this mother wound and are it's really exclamation point in their life for them right now, how do you feel that they can work towards reclaiming the the higher vibrational aspects of this energy within their relationship with their mother? Mm, oh, so many ways. Yeah. Ooh. Well, each sister will be called in a different way, but the first thing to say is know thyself. So this is a deep dive into your own psyche, your own psycho-spiritual uh, construction. And that can be done through astrology, through human design, through therapeutics. I'm, I definitely tend not to in any way advocate psychiatry because that's just a sort of what I have seen and heard more of a drug pimping kind of thing. It's not a actually go within. Um, it, it's not about talking about our problems either, although that is one step in the process. So know thyself, you know, be, work with a good counselor, a psycho-spiritual or a, even a shamanic uh psychologist or so, someone who has um, metaphysical and spiritual and psychological knowledge and skills and to, to clear the triggers. There are a few other things that I always recommend. A Course in Miracles is a great way to clarify your mind of all the things that you judge especially our moms, because they're the first, they're the ones who teach us or misteach us how to be a woman. So we can build a lot of resentment there. So the Course in Miracles is a slow mind transformation program, but some kind of counseling and also some kind of tool like you do human design. I do evolutionary astrologer. What did your soul come here for? How are you designed instead of taking on the imprints or the reaction to the attempt to imprint you with your mother's pattern, find out who you really are and begin to work your strengths and heal the challenges. Yes, I that just made me so happy that you just said that because I'm like, yes, like know thyself. That seems like I it's it seemed for me personally, it seems like the answer to it all when it comes to the mother wound. It's like as long as you can know who you are, you can begin to sort of differentiate yourself from the energies that she's holding on to or that maybe you're even unintentionally bringing into uh, the relationship. So thank you so much for that beautiful explanation of the mother wound and how to navigate this energy and ultimately alchemize it um, into a healthier, more profound relationship that we are proud to be in with our moms. So can you tell me just a bit more about what you have going on? Because you know, I'm like your biggest fan. So I'm like always looking to see what you have happening. Uh, so I would love to know like what you're excited about right now, what you have coming up. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for that. Thank you for a chance to kind of plug my, my current excitement. So 
pretty soon I'm going to be launching my uh, this year's 13 Moon Mother Spirit initi- Priestess Initiation Program. And as you know, having been through it, this is a, a training program to um, initiate as a priestess in the Mother Spirit line. Now, this year I've decided uh, how I want to kind of introduce this is by doing a three-day live event. So it won't be three full days, but it'll be a couple hours every day for three days in a row, June 1st, 2nd, 3rd, called uh, Sanctuary of the Feminine, where I'm going to channel each day on three different topics. And let me, I actually pulled them up so I can read them to you. They're all relevant, relative to what what we're navigating during this ascension journey right now. So the first is maintaining inner peacefulness as the ascension energy quicken because I don't know about you, but I'm feeling like things are getting more intense and we are being called more quickly to clear our stuff, to elevate to the next level, to to push through or to forgive, to release what the obstructions that are coming in the way. It's a quickening. So that's the first theme. Trusting ourselves as we embody our deepest truths. That's the next topic. And that's really important, especially, again, talking about the mother wound. It's like, how much did we learn to trust ourselves with when we were trained by a mother who was probably born also in dense 3D and patriarchy? Since the feminine intuition and the feminine energies are have been so relegated to a lower level. So really coming into that embodiment of our of our deepest truths and trusting that. And then the third topic is serving as energy midwives for new earth birthing within and around us at this time. So those are the topics and the actual the actual title is uh, Return of the Priestess 4, which many of you may know was the 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 name for my speaker series for three years in a row, but I really felt called to do something different this year. So Return of the Priestess 4, Sanctuary of the Feminine, puts the attendees at the center. So rather than being in the audience watching recordings passively or engaged in the events there, um, we are gathering live uh, to share with each other, to connect with each other, and also to receive these transmissions, which are informed by the live community there. So that's what I'm really excited about. That's about to come out on the 17th will be the first day you could opt into that. And it's totally free. And within that context, I'll also share a little bit about Mother Spirit, uh, which will be the next thing that that starts at summer solstice. So the best thing to do if you get this before the 17th, is to just get on my email list. I don't email that much. So once a week, a newsletter, uh, dawndelvecchio.com. Or you can check out if you get this by the 17th or after, if you're listening to this, you can go to returnofthepriestess.com forward slash sanctuary. And that will get you to the more information on this free three-day live online. Amazing. And I love that you are, um, the way that you're doing the return of the priestess this year, it got me super excited. I was like, wow, yeah, that's a totally different way of doing it is putting, you know, the attendees at the center there. So it's going to be so powerful. And I invite everyone who is listening right now to check out, check that out because Return of the Priestess was huge for me, and I everybody who has listened to uh, Dawn's first episode eleven will probably remember that. But and you know, friends of mine, people know about the Return of the Priestess just because it is so powerful. So having that be the attendees be the center of that this year is going to be so 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 good. And can you remind me when is um, Mother Spirit then? Uh, going to be opening the doors for that. Yeah. So June, it would be June 3rd, I think the third day of our 
a sanctuary event, and then and it's by by application and interview. So unless I you're already in my community and I know you and you're ready to come into the program, but what what I do is I open the doors for application, and then we set up a time to talk, and the journey begins on June 22nd. So that's when Mother Spirit will actually begin, and uh, it's just, as you know, it's a small group program. I don't bring a lot of people in because we need time to sharing time in each session and, you know, growth and and intimacy in, in a safe container. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing all that you did today and for your knowledge and just the history or herstory on everything that you know. I so value this and just thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you very much, Jen, and happy Mother's Day to you and to all our listeners. Thank you for listening to the She's a God podcast. Tune in next Thursday for a brand new episode. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. I would love to hear from you. Follow me on social media at This Is Jen Torres for all of the latest. And remember, she is a God, and so are you. Thank you.